0: Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thank you again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode nine. As always, thanks very much to Mitch Phillips. He does our voiceover work around here. You can find him at mpvoice.com. Check him out, he has graciously provided his support of this podcast. Wow, what a weekend. I spent a couple days at the Honda Classic this past week at PGA National in Palm Beach Gardens. That place is crazy. Uh, Actually, it's really two completely different events. If you're looking to follow a group and watch your favorite player, Thursday is the day to go. The crowds aren't that bad. It has a pretty laid-back feel to it and uh, a lot of room to move around. But on Saturday, and I'd imagine Sunday, well, that is all about the party. Uh, Not as many golf fans, quote unquote, but uh, plenty of serious drinkers and uh, those tents in the bear trap were, were rocking. So we have tons of videos and photos that I still need to get up on our Instagram page. So if you have not done so, follow that page. It's the Back of the Range podcast. So we have some good videos that were sent in by some friends and some that I took myself. Uh, before I forget, our website is www.thebackoftherange.com. That is where you can find uh, all of our episodes, links to how to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, Overcast. So that's basically our home base. So check that out. If you want to shoot me an email, you can also do so at ben at benatthebackoftherange.com. Don't forget, the more people you tell about the podcast, the bigger it grows, the better guests and uh and who didn't want that. So, this week's guest is TJ Stewart from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What has TJ done? Well, all he's done is participate in 11 USGA championships, and he's one of the last men to accomplish the unique feat of qualifying for the USAM, the US Mid-Am, and the US Amateur Public Links in the same year. He played collegiately at Loyola University and has some great stories about some matches against current professionals like Ricky Barnes and Ryan Moore. Additionally, he's launched his own amateur golf tour here in South Florida, and we're going to get into that also. So TJ, you're at the back of the range. How you doing?
1: Ben, fantastic, man. Thanks for having me. Look forward to uh, being a part of the program with you.
0: Well, uh, I know you and I have known each other for uh, quite a long time, just uh, playing amateur tournaments around uh, the state of Florida through a lot of Florida State stuff. And some uh, some USGA. You've had a hell of a, a career as as a qualifier for a lot of USGA events. And before we talk about just your start in the game and and what's led you to the success that you've obviously had, um, what are you working on, and how is your game right now?
1: Yeah, it's um it's been good. You know, I've went through quite an experience uh, this year, and um it's it's a challenging game at times. We all know that, and um, I've been fortunate enough to accomplish um some nice things you know in this game um but as you know you you never uh have it all and um you know the game probably takes a lot more than it gives so um it's been exciting for me to keep competing amateur golf so to that end I I always want to be competing if I don't have a tournament on the schedule um it it uh I get antsy and so I'm always trying to compete um uh, but I've spaced it out a lot I've got access to um, some nice events around the country, and um you can't play them all um uh, at the end of the day. Um, I have a career, I have a job, I have um things outside of golf that, that take up my time and my focus, so I've figured out a way to sort of create a schedule that um, affords me the ability to play and compete, but also space it out a little bit um, but it's been fun I've got access to some great events um results you know recently um haven't been that great for me, and sort of kind of uh, what I was alluding to before it's it's sort of that ongoing quest that we have with a game of golf. And so I've been able to, um, have a lot of success in the recent years in, in the body of the last six to nine months. Um, haven't played as well as I've wanted to. And so part of the fun of the challenge of this game is that it's never easy. It's never right there. And you're always searching uh, for ways to improve and, and kind of bounce back when it doesn't go as well as you want to. So I've um, been able to play some great events this year, travel to some nice parts of the country, um, haven't put any victories on the board. And, uh, part of the challenge when you, when you have success and you do well is there's sort of, um, increased expectations. And so I'm going through a period of time now, um, where I haven't sort of reached those expectations and, and sort of those accomplishments that I've sort of created myself in the last, say one to two to four years. Um, and so I've got to find that and get that back. And, um, that's the beauty of this game that, um, you know, will uh, you're always going to kind of go through through periods of time where you, uh, where you don't you, know, you don't play as well as you want to, and um, you know I, I've had that experience too of late. So it, it goes up and it goes down. That's the game of golf. We see it even at the highest level. Um, players missing cuts and, and being out of contention and shooting high scores, and then um, coming back to win the very next week. So um, it's the game we love, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to press on and uh, and and work to get better uh and, and get back to uh get back to some of the uh you know fantastic results that I was fortunate enough to achieve in recent years.
0: So it sounds like you've just been playing like a mere mortal. Very much so. Oh.
1: Whatever what, actually whatever a level below that is.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, well that's where I'm at. So join it's uh, the water's <laughs> warm so hop on in. So just grab a beer yeah. and it's uh yeah there's um, yeah. no I totally understand what you're saying. You you get a you get a taste of of a, a really good uh run of tournaments and results and the swing feels good and then, you know, obviously, you know, life gets in the way and it just kinda, you know, fades away for a little while and then you gotta chase and get it back. But you're right. That's what makes uh what makes this game great. And then obviously as a as a mid amateur, um, now you're uh thirty four years old, correct, right? Correct. Okay. yes So so obviously you know, you're not a college kid. You gotta work for a living. You gotta have uh, you know, real world issues and 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 responsibility. So uh of course. Um now before you you became a uh fully functioning adult with real responsibilities and real uh you know job requirements and and mortgage to pay and all that stuff so so what was your start? You know, what was your start in the game of golf?
1: I'm like a lot of uh, folks in that it was my father that brought me into the game. Um as a kid I ran around, played every sport um it was pretty athletic i was a big actually football and basketball player first and uh got to high school and, and hadn't hit my growth spurt yet and i was just a little guy and uh went to a a, a big time athletic program high school uh down here in fort lauderdale st thomas and i uh, realized pretty quickly i was not going to be playing football or basketball given what i was up against with my size and 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 just the athletic prowess with uh some of my peers started playing golf more. It was something my father exposed me to probably as young as the age of seven or eight. Um, but again, I was active in in multiple different sports and had interest, quite frankly, in other sports above golf. Um, but I I had to do something in high school to to play athletically and compete. And I sort of gravitated toward golf simply on account of the fact that I wasn't big enough or strong enough to play football or basketball at that time. So Um, played as a freshman, um, at St. Thomas in high school was not any good, really wasn't that great of a player, uh, to be frank. And wasn't someone that really devoted uh, myself to, to the game of golf. Probably by the time I was getting out of high school, um, I started to sort of realize some of my potential after a couple of years of, of kind of competing and playing and growing. And, and, um, so it was a sort of a process over many years, but certainly, um, you know appreciate everything obviously my father did in introducing me to the game but also um, doing it the right way allowing me to naturally uh flow to golf as my primary sport um i was lucky enough to have access uh you know to to play golf and have a father who um you know taught me the game and and kind of uh, you know put me in in an environment where i could travel and, and play some tournaments and compete and uh the rest was on me. I I don't like you – know, I'm a competitive guy, and I didn't like that um, I wasn't very good in the beginning. And it seems like the irony in, in sort of where I got to today was that I was really much better at other sports than I was at golf. And it was in part because of the fact that I wasn't very good at it, that I had a desire – to continue to try to excel at it and get better at it, so um, that transition, that breaking point, you know, to commit to golf, uh, really happened in that 14, 15, 16-year-old age, um, and then obviously um, being able to uh, accomplish enough to to go uh, to a Division One college program at Loyola University and and play uh, four years of Division One golf.
0: So it's interesting you're you're talking about your your introduction into the game from your father and you know you've been around a lot of uh juniors as have I just whether it's at golf courses country clubs different events you know obviously state amateur qualifiers US amateur qualifiers what's your kind of take on the how junior golf is now cuz you're basically saying that it wasn't that you got pushed in you didn't have someone uh, shuttling you from this tournament to this coach to this practice facility to this outing, you know, you kind of had a drive inside of you to get better at something that you just weren't good at instead of tossing it away and saying, well, that's just not my thing. I'm not good at it. You just did not like failing and chased after it. How does that compare with what you're seeing now with some of the juniors where, you know, they just, they just feel maybe maybe too much pressure from the parents or too much pressure from coaches and feel that every round of golf is, Uh, could either help them or hurt them when it comes to getting access to a college scholarship.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that's something that you're seeing a lot more of now. I mean, it's a fine line. I mean, certainly you want, um, you know, the support system that, that parents afford you as a kid really. And that's really what it boils down to without the support of your parents to be, be able to even um, to, to travel and and to spend money and, and spend time to play these events. I really look back at it now. I don't have kids of my own yet, um, so I haven't had that experience, but to, to realize, you know, everything that my parents did for me, you know, for me to even be able to explore golf as an option is really something that, you know, you take for granted as a kid and you realize now it it's really shaped part of who I am as a person. Certainly you see um the scenarios with, you know, uh overexertion of pressure, you know, from parents to kids uh sure. at a young age. There's so much access out there now um the game with players like Tiger Woods of our era and now Jordan Spieth um you know they're glorified on television they make tons of money and so obviously um people see that and they want to gravitate toward that they want to they want to be that person one day and so what happens is there ends up being a, a tremendous amount of energy put put toward that goal probably oftentimes at quite an early age so at the end of the day, uh, when it when it comes to golf, golf is an individual sport. When you have an individual sport, no, nobody else is setting up your practice times or your games. You're on your own uh, to develop as a person and to practice and work at your game. And that's really where golf separates from a lot of the other major professional sports where, by and large, you're a part of a team. And you maybe you need, if you want to play football or basketball, you need to be a certain size. There's a lot of things that that kind of happen in other sports. Also, your your prime and your peak years are really much younger in these other sports, like football and basketball. Where golf is something that you're really um, not ne- not necessarily even hitting your prime till till your later years in, in life. So, um, certainly uh, to, to to answer your question, I appreciated the way that I was handled, which was I was put in an environment to to compete and to play sports and be active but ultimately I gravitated to the sport that I wanted to for the reasons I wanted to and and not for anyone else. So it's a balance. You want the support system, uh, you know, with your parents and your peers and and whoever it is that helps you along the way um, to push you and and to to sort of put you in the environment where you're, you're able to participate. But certainly at the end of the day, it has to be your decision. And um, it was with me with golf. And nobody
0: else can create that for you. So, and obviously this worked out well for you, because as you said, you you transitioned from being at St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, got enough of a a high school and junior golf playing resume put together where you were able to go to, to Loyola in Maryland and, um, you know, your four-time all-conference. Uh, what was it about playing at St. Thomas Aquinas and your high school experience? What was it like just walking on Uh, or not as a walk-on, but what was it like going to this college team, going to Loyola far away from home? Um, You know, what was that that experience like? I know we can't get into every single story you have. You know, what did you think about college golf?
1: Yeah, probably probably one of the most interesting and unique and sort of formative experiences, I would say, of my early years, um, as you alluded to, just first and foremost, being away from home. Um, there was, there was a lot of challenge for me and quite frankly, a lot of setbacks. Um, I went from sort of this position as I was the number one, you know, alpha player at a, at a major South Florida high school. Um, and I was on the up and up to really going into freshman year and saying, okay, I'm at Loyola. I've got academic responsibilities. I'm in a different part of the country Um, all of a sudden college is social, right? For the first time in your life, you're away from, you know, your parents' home and you have this social element of your life. And then you have, um, you know, uh, a different part of the country that you have to compete on the golf side too. So the um, responsibilities academically, the want to meet new people and and experience all those fantastic things about college that we all know and love, um, certainly those two aspects, um, you know, were, were to some extent impediments to my growth on the golf side. Um, so my freshman year was very challenging. I remember academically running into a couple of bumps where I actually had to study. I had to do homework. I was no No longer kind of cruising through. Yes. Yes. Believe it or not, believe it or not, if I wanted to remain, uh, you know, eligible and and remain scholarship worthy and and graduate from college, I had to actually, um, you know, apply myself a little bit uh, more so than I did in high school. And so, that was a huge learning curve for me. Um, obviously just, um, you know, going into, um, you know, all the responsibility again that I had academically and then going to golf tournaments where the, the weather was maybe 40, 50 degrees in the morning. And all of a sudden I'm playing on bent grass greens and, and wearing four layers and saying, well, this isn't, this isn't the summer in South Florida. of so hard, hard to
0: get loosened up after, uh, after all that. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, yeah, I was just I was just thinking, wow, you you had the well, I went to more than one college. That's how that's how much I like college. I just sampled a few, but uh but you know, stick with one, do your thing. So so you so you had the the issues, you know, the 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 freshman bumps getting through just basically just learning how to uh manage your time, I would imagine, and then just, you know, sure. balancing school and and um you know, you got to hit a couple, you know, couple keggers. I mean, you got to do a little bit of that stuff while you're while you're Absolutely. Tell me about the uh tell me about your relationship with your coach. Um, was he really a kind of a hands-off guy? Was he, you know, my way or the highway? What was that aspect
1: like? My, my relationship with my coach is great. Um, the backstory, as I was kind of kicking the tires on, on where I would go to college and, and how I would find myself to, to playing division one college golf, it was kind of getting late, um, in the whole process and got a phone call, um, from a gentleman by the name of Tom Bidelman. He had just taken over the program at Loyola. And he said, I've you know I've seen your your resume and and, and some of your videos here. I'd love to have you come take a look. And and at that time, uh, Loyola wasn't really on my radar. Uh, but I went up, took a visit, really liked him, and ended up just saying, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to this program. It's Division One. It's a great education. Different part of the country, and, and let's go have this experience. Um, Tom was a great guy. I prefer a coach that certainly you know does the right things to put you in a position to to succeed, but. He wasn't overbearing. Uh, there's a balance, again, in, co- in college golf where you are dealing with personalities. You you are dealing with individuals who um, got to where they got at that point, by and large, through their own work ethic and their own accomplishments. And so you see a lot of times in college golf um, sort of this disconnect between these emerging brash young kids and these coaches that want to sort of control them. And and that's the unique element that that golf brings as an individual sport is, by and large, uh, for the the bulk of my life, I've never really had to worry about anyone else, you know, in terms of a team game, a little bit in high school, certainly four years in college, but golf is an individual sport. So there's that sort of uniqueness of um, coming into a team environment, responding to a coach. But Tom was a great guy. Um, he knew what made his players tick. He he supported us. Um, he put us, you know, in some great events and, and sent us around the country a little bit, which was great. So we got to travel. Um, but he's much more uh, what you would call a players' coach, um, more so than a, a drill sergeant or a taskmaster. And that probably, to some extent, uh, just comes with the fact that you're at Loyola University. You know, you're not necessarily, um, you know, at Georgia or at Texas. But uh, it was a great experience. He was. Um, you know obviously I was his first primary recruit um and and so Loyola at the time really didn't have much of a track record we were then in the MAC conference and had since transitioned to the Patriot League but uh when Tom came in we won three of four conference championships some local guys started to follow and and join the program and uh we ended up winning I think at some point it was 9 out of 10 um MAC conference championships from the from the 2001 2 year forward so a lot of success came out of the program. I'm happy to be uh, a part of that uh, to some extent in the beginning with Tom. And uh, he did a great job of uh, of just being kind of one with his players and, and being a guy that was able to accommodate and, and understand, um, you know, what made his players happy and how to support us and just be one of the guys. And sometimes that's good enough um, is letting your guys be your guys, particularly in an individual sport like golf.
0: Well, with your experience playing at Loyola, I would imagine at some tournaments you would have run across some guys that clearly you saw their talent level was going to take them elsewhere. So, were there any professionals that are currently on the tour now that you ran into that that uh, that caught your attention?
1: I would say specific to the to the college experience, the the one that jumps out was Ryan Moore. Um at Loyola we didn't obviously play a, a heavy southern or western schedule. We didn't play a lot of events against the top 25 or 50 programs in college golf. So yep. we by and large played in the northeast, but sort of similar to basketball and golf, if you're able to win your conference championship, you do get into postseason play. And so that's sort of where we got a taste of the larger programs and uh in 2005 Caves Valley in Baltimore uh, was set to host the NCAA Division One National Championship, and they ran an event in the fall called the Preview, and what that did was invited the best programs in college golf and the host program, which was set to be Loyola, to play in an event in the fall and, and get a taste of, of the venue where the national championship would be. Um, me being fortunate enough to be the number one player at Loyola and be a part of the host program, uh, let's just say we had a little bit of say in the pairings, and so as I scanned the list, Of programs that were coming. Uh, Ryan Moore had won the United States Public Links, uh, the United States Amateur, and I believe the Western Amateur. He was the most decorated amateur um, in the country at that time, probably a rising senior uh, at UNLV. So I requested that pairing. I played 36 holes with him at Caves Valley, and it was a great experience. I think If I recall correctly, I had a couple of 73s, and I think he had something like a 72-69. So certainly didn't expect uh, to be able to beat him over 36 holes, uh, given his stature in the game um, and my progression at that point. Uh, But to be within earshot of him was fun. To play 36 holes with a guy that was clearly on his way to going to the next level was just a super experience for me. And the funny part of it is that in the second round, Um, I was so sort of just kind of drained after the 36 holes. Um, We're taking pictures and sort of shaking hands and doing this whole post round thing that I actually signed the wrong scorecard. So any golfer will kind of almost chuckle at that score. Luckily I I ended up signing in a way that didn't really hurt our team that much. Um, An expensive lesson to learn at the time to uh, that you got to not only focus all the way through 18 holes, but go ahead and focus the extra you know, two or three minutes to make sure your scorecards, right. But certainly a tremendous experience for me uh, being around Ryan, a number of other events we played Kevin, Nah Hunter Mahan, Ricky Barnes, um, you know, all these guys that have had uh, been out there or are still out there to some extent. Uh, it's been a fun part for my career as I've remained amateur to watch some of these guys that I've competed against, particularly in the college years. Um, but Ryan Moore would be one that jumped out just because he had accomplished everything you could want to accomplish in the amateur game. And, uh, not only being in the same field with him, but playing 36 holes alongside of him. It was a great
0: experience. And did it jump out at you right then when you're playing with these guys that it was clearly – because I guess where, where I'm going with this is you're the number one guy at Loyola. You're, you're hanging with, with a guy like Ryan Moore. Was there something specifically that that hit you as they're going to go this direction, I'm just not – or did you entertain those thoughts after you graduated? What was the defining, or, or was there any sort of a defining characteristic in their games that you saw that you just didn't have in
1: yours? Yeah, I would say a little bit of both. I mean, I think you all know you know how fine the line is in golf. I mean, we we see it every day. It's it's a shot here or there that determines whether a guy has a job on the PGA Tour next year. As we see the Web. dot com Tour just wrap up their their final series here and it's no different in the amateur game there's a fine line sometimes between uh between some of the best players and, and some players that aren't quite at that level so i would say certainly uh with ryan there was an element of him that yeah he's a talented player he strikes the ball well he's consistent he keeps it in front of him he doesn't hurt himself um i knew at that very moment ryan Moore's is a better golfer than tj Stewart i knew that What I was pleased to find out over the 36 holes of playing with him was that there wasn't necessarily some monumental gap. For example, I hit my driver well better than he did and passed him, but certainly he was a better iron player. Certainly he got the ball in the hole better. And the fact of the matter is he was just a more accomplished and better golfer at that time. But I came away encouraged uh, being a part of that playing next to him. Um, At that time, you know, I probably had different goals than him. He was a blue chip, collegiate player all world's number one ranked amateur um i was a nice collegiate player at a small northeastern university there's just a difference between us in that moment and um, i was comfortable with the amateur game i was comfortable being the best college player i could be and had no real notions and desires um even as i was a senior in college that i would necessarily pursue the game professionally so i just took it as an experience getting the taste of 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 playing against a player of that caliber and and, and sort of being alongside for that ride, understanding that they're more accomplished, but also understanding that, you know, you've got room to develop as a player and from that, you know, what did that player do better? Why is that player better? Why is he shooting lower scores? And so I would say there's aspects of my game um, that were just as good, but certainly um, when you think about, you know, his tenacity, his short game, the way he got the ball in the hole and, um, and he was just a more developed and, and better player, and 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 uh, I was just felt happy to be kind of along for that ride and, and playing next to him. And I still follow his career to this day. It's it's cool to see him have the success that he's had, and uh, it was just a great experience for me to uh, to to be alongside one of the top players in college golf. was was fun for me and just helped shape my my love for the game and my want to get better and my want to compete.
0: So once you once you got out of of Loyola, you graduated. And knowing your record in FSGA events and uh, United States Golf Association events, a lot of your success has been after the age of 25. So did you pretty much take the road of, okay, I'm out of college. You know, I can't play golf every day. I need to get my career going. Um, You know, what did you do to get your career moving along? And then it sounds, you know, you got back on track as far as your amateur playing uh, career after the age of 25. So what was that like transitioning from I'm playing every day and now I'm trying to get a career off the ground and then getting back into golf?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a tricky time in that kind of, I'm out of college now, what uh, sort of mentality that I have. And, um, I spent a little bit of time, um, working at TPC Eagle trace, Uh, here in South Florida uh, after I graduated, and and the the somewhat challenging part for me was that I was actually playing the very best golf of my life at that moment. I was probably 22 years old, just out of college, and um, was playing really, really well, and a case could have been made for me to go the route of trying to play, turning professional and, and getting out on the mini tours and going through that growth curve um, to try to become a better player and and advance through the ranks. But I was very comfortable with the amateur game. Um, I felt like I still had unfinished business and still was underdeveloped in terms of trying to become a better player and just had such a desire to continue to be a part of the game as an amateur. I, I had a taste of the US amateur in 2004 at Wingfoot and just really loved that experience. So really just made the decision that, that, um, I wasn't going to turn professional and I was going to play, play amateur golf. As you alluded to, um, you know, you're out of college and, and now life, you know, it's time for life. And so, um, certainly, you know, moved forward, took a job, um, was very busy, was, was more worried about, uh, you know, making a living and, and, and sort of making this transition in my life from, you know I play golf all the time and I hang out and live at home to i'm um, providing for myself and and I'm gonna go out and make a living and 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 sort of progress my career um so obviously that you know took effect for a while I was still active I still played, but um just not a ton in that first say year or two kind of in that in that kind of early twenties um you know time frame but um just, again, had a love for the amateur game. Always knew that I was going to keep pursuing it, and it was about at the age of 25 that I was able to get into some mid-amateur events and, and just keep getting better as a player. What I will tell you is so much of my success at the at that sort of 25, 26-year-old age, um, after having those you know couple of years where I was a little busier working and just playing tournaments a little less, was actually psychological in that I was now – working. I had a job in project management in in the golf course construction space, and I was working, uh, making money, providing for myself, put a roof over my head. And that was the first time, obviously, in my life I'd really done that. You're out of college, and you're you're into this new experience of, hey, I'm making money, I have a job, and and, and this is great. And so I think psychologically, I, I sort of grew up and out of Hey, I'm just playing golf and kind of floating and going through college and going through this six months post college of floating to, you know, I have a career now. I'm, I'm doing something. There's more to life than golf. And so there was a piece. I remember when I wrote my first check to of an entry fee to a golf tournament. It was the first time in my life I really think I ever did that. You know, I was probably 23 years old and I said, I'm paying for my own golf tournament. Wow. And so there was a psychology there that I was comfortable with every other aspect of my life, my job, and, and sort of just my, um, you know, my family and, and just my friends. And it was this great, uh, development in these post-collegiate years. So psychologically, there was so much satisfaction with sort of just that, that path I was taking that it just spilled over into my golf. And, um, obviously at the age of 25 qualifying for us amateur, uh, and, and then qualifying for us mid amateur right on top of that a month later, when I was pretty much working 60 hours a week and maybe hitting balls once a week was just a huge, huge achievement for me, especially um, given the fact that I had made this decision to be a career, career amateur. I think if I didn't play well, it would have been a very difficult thing for me because golf was such a huge part of my life. So I would just say that um, there was a transition there. Like there always is life cycles, but the psychology around me being content with my life away from golf actually had a, extremely positive uh, impact on me because it was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to take the day off work and go try, try qualify for the USM. And if I don't, you know, I'll go back to work and and make money the next day and move on. So there was just a psychological element that um, really was huge for me. And I think it helped me kind of transition and accept, Hey, I'm going to play golf recreationally. I'm going to play golf and compete as an amateur I have other things going on in my life and, uh, I'll, I'll be able to, to get that competitive, um, sort of environment going here. And, uh, certainly the, the, again, the, the, psychological aspect of, of being, um, you know, happy and accomplished sort of away from the golf course was a big thing that sort of put me at ease. And I think it helped me as I transitioned into life as a full-time amateur.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's an excellent, excellent point that you brought up there because for, for people listening as an amateur golfer, if you're trying to find your happiness and and making your you know, finding something happy in your life and you're looking for golf to be that that highlight of your life, you that's a big warning sign. Not because, ideal. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a warning sign. You need and even if you're a professional, but especially as an amateur when you have uh work and you have uh kids and and relationships, if you're looking for golf, uh, if you're looking for that bucket of balls at night. To uh to be the uh, highlight of your day, yeah you gotta you gotta reevaluate that pretty quick. Um, before we get into now, as as I've said earlier, you have won four um, four Florida State Golf Association events, which were the 2015 uh, state mid am and the state match play, and then also a couple Publinks uh, championships in 2012 and 2014. Both the State Mid-Am, which was at Sarah Bay Country Club in Sarasota, Florida, which I absolutely love that course. I am any chance I have, uh, there's any tournament over there, any excuse to go play that place. I love Sarah Bay. And then the State Match Play was at Turtle Creek in uh, Tequesta. But the the consistent thing is both match play tournaments. So the State Mid-Am, you have to you know play your 36-hole seeding round. Make the cut and get into the low uh, low was it thirty two or sixty four at that time? I know they've changed that format.
1: Yeah, the mids thirty two and the, and the and the uh, regular sixty
0: four. Okay, so so I looked at your how that happened. So you shot seventy eight in the first round, and then came back with a sixty seven and ended up as the fourth seed. So you were you know at, I think the the cut was one fifty four. So you really had to improve on your first round just to get in, and you you know drastically improved. And just looking at the names that you ran through to win that championship, um, you know Mike Riley's out of uh, Panama City. He's he's got USGA uh, appearances under his belt. Joe Alfieri played on the Web.com Tour. John uh, he's you know we would need a whole other podcast to talk about his accomplishments. And then and then Brian Armstrong you beat in the final. Um, what was that like? Just getting around and and running through those matches. And then before we talk about Sarah Bay, we'll just kind of hit a little bit on Turtle Creek, what you did there. Um, you know, a 73 in the seeding round, which was just a one eighteen 18-hole round. Uh, that put you at 25 out of 64. So you're pretty much right in the middle. And and you ran through, uh, again, a, a list of, of really great players to win that championship. What is it about match play that obviously you're comfortable with? And, um, you know, what things do you keep in mind for for finding success?
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, obviously, starting with the match play being the earlier of the two events, probably about six, eight weeks prior to the mid-am, um, the irony of the match play is that it was an initially scheduled to be hosted at Pine Tree Golf Club in Boynton Beach, which is one of my all-time favorite clubs anywhere, particularly in South Florida. Just an awesome golf course and facility and a great membership. And I remember all of a sudden one day the schedule changed, and I emailed the FSGA politely as I could, Basically, saying, Why in the world is this event not at Pine Tree anymore? It was a great get. Why is it not there? The funny part is, I was, in essence, um, upset at a venue change and then went on to um, really enjoy Turtle Creek and play well and go on to win the tournament. So, kind of a funny little backstory there. I think, really, the first thing regarding the success is I was playing well. And, and that's just a reality that match players stroke play. Um, you gotta be in control of your of your golf game and, and, and the way you're playing to to have the success that I had in, in, in those couple of months that summer with both events. I think there's definitely a mental difference with match play. Um, certainly there's a luck element too. I remember in the second round of the match play, I probably went to the last hole with John Wegman, a good friend of mine from South Florida. He easily could have beat me. Um I think I was two down through two in the semifinals and, and played a really good uh, collegiate player. Could have easily lost that round. I remember the quarters, I think went to 19 holes. There was probably four different ways I could have lost, uh, you know, in that match play event. So um, you have to have a little resiliency. You have to understand it's hole by hole golf mentally I think sometimes you can be a little more aggressive uh you know realizing that obviously if 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 something doesn't go well on a hole it's it's just one loss of a hole versus stroke play so I would just say with Turtle Creek there was just confidence I was playing well I was hitting the ball straight I'm always a player that's had plenty of length and, and been a pretty good iron player but when I'm putting the ball in the fairway it just puts me in obviously a much better position to take advantage of the strengths of my game so it was just a great run in that tournament, confidence builds as the week goes on. You keep beating good players, and you still just realize, you know, I'm good enough. I can win this event. I'm one of the best players here. Now it's time to prove it. So I was real fortunate to sort of navigate through that. And then obviously moving to the mid-am, I would just say, again, mentally – um, I was in a positive frame of mind. I had just beaten a field that was better than the field I was entering to um, with the mid am. Now that doesn't mean you can't go up there and lose in the first round because sure. you certainly can. Um, but there was an element, obviously, of confidence there. Certainly in the mid am realm. I think at that time I'm, you know, maybe in my, you know, low thirties, and um, really felt like I, I had sort of achieved a lot on the sort of national level with the usj experiences and, and obviously the pub links and some state stuff but it was time um you know for me to do well in that mid amateur event that's our sweet spot as we know once you get into your 30s that's that's the event right and so um some of us are in our 40s carry-
0: now tj and yeah well and you're you know gonna enjoy, you're gonna I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be there
1: soon too and i'm gonna keep calling it my sweet spot right i mean you know, but making making the point i think that you know certainly once you kind of graduate out of that i'm 25 and i'm you know into my life and have these priorities the mid-am golf you know obviously is the focal point and certainly our state mid-am is is obviously one of the one of the ultimate events that we would want to do well at so i definitely carried a lot of uh, you know mental positives from the, the match play straight in uh straight into sarah bay sarah bay is a golf course too that you alluded to um, an old style Donald Ross course. It can be maddening at times, oh, um, but it's a great golf course. And uh,
0: if you want to, you know, if you just want to make your. If you and when I played there, if you just want to yeah. really just annoy the hell out of your playing competitors, and if you got if you can chip it and putt it, because you're going to miss yeah. tons of greens there because it just rolls off and just for no apparent yep. reason, man. For sure. is, as someone that gets around largely in part of my short game, man, that's so much fun. Just have, just watch people shake their head. And that's not even match play. I did it in a stroke play event there, but to watch them do it in match play, that had to have been just uh, an enormous amount of fun. And then, so I'm going to bring this up as delicately as possible, but you and I have played golf together and you um, shall we say are rather analytical and, and, and kind of in your own element when you're on the course and don't talk a lot. So, do you think maybe it was a little bit more of an intimidation factor like, wow, this guy is just kind of a you know stone cold uh, killer over there and done re- we're not really talking much and he's just doing his thing. Do you think your demeanor on the course, which is obviously not what it is off the course, but do you think your demeanor on the golf course plays into your success and gives you an advantage at times?
1: I think maybe, you know, finding my zone certainly will help me. I I don't, I can't certainly speak to the reaction from other people. And I don't think, you know, I've, I've evolved a lot from my younger years. So I'm certainly when I'm playing with guys, even in a match play setting, you know, I understand that the game is about, you know, camaraderie and, and, you know, cultivating relationships and, and, and all that. So I, I actually enjoy, uh, you know, being complimentary to my, to my playing partners. I think that's just part of the game and part of the etiquette of it. But I think certainly, yeah, there's an element of focus within me at the end of the day, every, every golfer is different in terms of what, you know, how they approach the game and how they play. There's some people that actually need to be talking the entire time. That's their fix, you know, and they do that. There's probably some people that need to have an adult beverage at some point in the round. Maybe that's their fix. Yeah, there's there's some people that that um, are like me that just find that if they get too far off a of field in conversation that they will drift a little bit, and that's just the way I'm wired. Is that um, I grew up ADD as a kid, and if if I get too far off. Um, you know, I'll have conversations here and there, but certainly if I get too deep into other things, it just takes away from the purpose of what, what I'm there to do, which is to play my best golf. And I've just figured out that by and large, I got to stay within myself and I'll have the conversations and longer conversations that, you know, afterward. But, um, yeah, as you alluded to, I mean, it's golf first and then it's the mental part second. And, um, you know, certainly there's a lot of people out there that I play golf against, and with that, um, I would say, don't give a crap, you know, about what my demeanor is because they're worried about their own game, particularly the younger subset too. So I just think that, um, you know, the younger kids don't care. I think in the mid-am event, um, certainly in the first couple of rounds, um, I would just say when you're, if you're going to go down the path of how my opponents are affected by, by what it is I do or how I play or who I am, Um, I would just say there is certainly an element sometimes of some players, particularly in a mid-am environment, where they they kind of find their way into a new spot where they realize they're up against an accomplished player. And I think that is beneficial, uh, certainly, because if you're you're shooting 151 or 152 and you're going up against a guy that that has won tournaments and qualified for U.S. amateurs, I mean – there's certainly an element where you think, okay, I'm going to need my best um, or, or some sort of fortuitous situation to win. So I would think that has more to play than, than any golfer trying to figure out what the demeanor of the other golfer is. There's certainly just an element sometimes where there's a mental side to match play. And I've played against guys that are great guys. You know, uh, you mentioned a couple of them at that tournament and um and they're happy to be there and they know they're good players, but they also know that it has to go well for them, you know, to win the match. So I would say that good golf is really, you know, what, what Trump saw and certainly playing guys like a Joe Alfieri. We went to the last hole. I hit a three wood from two sixty to eight feet to beat him, you know, eagling the last hole. I mean, I could have lost that match. John Veneziano is a friend and one of the better players in the state that we have um, just happened to, 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 to make some birdies against him and, and get up and on top of him. But you know, it's a fine line. Sometimes it could have gone either way. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just focused in a match play setting and getting in the frame of mind that helps me. And it just so happens that for me, um, it's a quiet approach and it's approach to, you know, what do I have to do to move forward and compliment my opponent when he hits a good shot, but I'm I'm there to play the golf course and try to win. And that's my primary focus.
0: So, Moving from FSGA, and we're just naturally transitioning. You mentioned the uh, the US Amateurs and uh, other USJ events that you've you've played in. So you have qualified for eleven USJ events. Uh, just one of them, which I believe would have been the '04 US You mentioned at Wingfoot. Every other one was after the age of twenty five. So you were a where well, you still are actually, you know, you're, you're a mid-am. So 10 out of the 11 you qualified for as a mid-am. And these are four U.S. ams, five U.S. mid-ams, two U.S. pub links. So, which is credible record. And what I want to hit on with these is that every one of these tournaments requires a very difficult qualifier. So for those that are listening that don't know, the U.S. amateur is 36 holes over two days. All of these qualifiers, you you're walking, carrying your bag, or or you have a caddy, but you're you're walking. And a lot of them are in, you know, June, July, August, the really hot, humid, nasty months here in South Florida. So you have your your four US AMs you've qualified for. You have four uh five US mid-AMS, that's 18 holes of qualifying. And then the pub links is was 36 holes of qualifying. They don't have the US public links anymore. But what is it about getting through these qualifiers? Because you know you're playing against the best players in the area. There's normally three. Let's see. I think there's three qualifiers for the U.S. Mid Am in the state of Florida. I think they do about, um, about like seven or eight around the state for the U.S. Am and Public Links probably had about two or three if I remember correctly. So you're you're really going up against. Um, at least for the AM and public links, you're going up against college players, high school studs, uh, really accomplished mid-AMs. You're going to find some really accomplished seniors in those mid-AM qualifiers. I mean, you're going against the very best in the state. And then, of course, people will come down to Florida that you've never heard of from uh, California and Vermont and New York and some guy you've never heard of. and, And there's always someone like that that brings it. How did you get through these qualifiers?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The more I hear you talking about it, it's almost like you're you're talking me into the belief that it, it really is hard. Maybe for a while there, I didn't realize how hard it was. Well, just remember, there of- are
0: mortals listening to the podcast. Okay, I mean, you know, just you know, keep <laughs> hey, that, keep that in mind.
1: I'm I'm one of them. We've talked about the the success, but I've uh, I've been a dry spell here for a couple of years where I've missed out. So I know what both sides of the equation are like. But um, certainly, um, you know, you referenced 2008, making the U.S. Amateur and the Mid-Am back to back. Uh, it was actually a period of time where I was traveling out of the state of Florida uh, with 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 work and uh, one of the roles I had in my earlier years. So I spent some time over in Houston and actually Louisiana for a couple of qualifiers, uh, bouncing around like a nomad, uh, showing up to foreign sites and making it. But I was developing as a player at the age of 25, which is the uniqueness of golf. Was I I hadn't even scratched the surface of how good I was. At the age of 25, I was a better player at 25 than I ever was at 18 or 21. And to take it a step farther, I was a better player at 30 than I ever was at 25. So certainly, there's an element uh, that you got to go for it. You know, a lot of these qualifiers are 70, 80 guys for two or three spots. Um, you can't just kind of float around and, and, and try to try to make a top 10. That's not what this is about. Um, it's kind of a pass fail, all or nothing experience. And so this was, this was my life. Amateur golf was sort of, you know, the amateur side of my competitive golf was, it was my life. It was what I wanted to do. Um, got through some playoffs, you know, and so certainly just, um, trying to buckle down and just, and just be out there with yourself sometimes to not get really consumed by the moment, which by the way, it's really, really hard to do.
0: Yeah. Well, well, and the other thing about these qualifiers and I've done, you've done a lot, more of them and had much more success than I have, but you know, I've done the state ams and the state mid ams and the match plays. But it seems like, how do you get it out of your head? Um, and this applies to just everyone. Like, you know, you go to these qualifiers and everyone says, So, what do you think the number's going to be? And for an 18 holer, um, you know, the numbers, well, you know, you shoot par, you're going to be in, or if you know, one or two over, you're probably in a playoff. And it's almost like it, you get to the golf course, you get set up, and it's almost like you're just you're chasing a number and you're just think you're it's all consuming. So, so how did, how did you find yourself getting mentally prepared to get into these qualifiers, abandon the thought of, okay, here's what I want to shoot today. Or, or did you put a number? Like, how
1: did you do that? Yeah, no, that's a great, great observation. Cause obviously that in the, in the world of qualifiers, it is very different. I'm not focused on, what's the result going to be. I'm focused on what's my process to to get where I want to be and put myself in my best position to play good golf and succeed. So I think a lot of my focus was, was again, just on how I played the golf course and, it was very much about me, you know, traversing through the golf course and, and putting myself in a position to be successful. And, and listen, I can't control what anyone else shoots. So there's some measures in amateur golf, actually, um, because it's just less developed than the professional game where there's actually a benefit because you don't have access to all the information um, that, that some bigger events or professional events have. So sometimes it makes it easier, but just being comfortable with 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 what I wanna do and how I wanna play golf, enjoying my experience, the chips fall where they may, and uh I'll move on to play another tournament if if I don't get into this one so that that was really the focus for me. I think it kind of it really jives with sort of your prior question about sort of my my frame of mind when I play golf and and thinking about the end game and the results too much is is by and large just not a process that I wanted to follow. I wanted to focus on the shot that was in front of me and executing that shot. And, uh, you know, wherever I stood at the end, um, it was what it was. And, and, you know, I would learn from that experience.
0: And when you were getting ready for these qualifiers, did you have any sort of specific preparation techniques that you adopted? Did you tailor your equipment for the event? Did you try and get extra practice rounds? What did you do to get your game ready for these big qualifiers?
1: Yeah, as best you can. I mean, I I think, you know, part of the limitations we have as amateur golfers is that we don't do this every day and our access is, is sometimes limited. So I would say that multiple practice rounds typically is a rarity. Um, But if you're local and if you can get out to a course in advance, certainly uh, certainly it helps. So I think it's just a lot of your own regimen and routine, um, you know, at your local club, certainly, um, you know, in my younger years, there was very limited practice, sometimes, in an exploration of the golf course. But as I've moved on, I have access um, to 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 practice at my club, Fort Lauderdale Country Club, and so I'll go through a routine of of just trying to work on my weaknesses, probably, uh, in that in that 14 to 30 days, if you will, in advance of an event. Um, so there's sort of a a, a process of my own. Uh, practicing away from uh, the venue, Um, but then certainly accessing the golf course and understanding how it'll play, uh, where it yields scoring opportunities, where the difficult holes are. Um, Certainly equipment changes are a big part of of what I do. When I travel to, you know, certain clubs around the country or or certain golf courses, um, I'll I'll have different, you know, clubs in play, um, maybe such as a driving iron. Um, When I play in South Florida, a lot of times it's a five wood. You just kind of you kind of hit it high and long, and that's that's the way a lot of South Florida golf courses are. So, so you alluded to equipment. Certainly, understanding, um, you know, there's there's times I go to a golf course and there's just there's just not a five wood out there for me. You know, sure. so why even carry it in the bag? Um, a lot of short game work, understanding the green surrounds, and, and so preparation on the golf courses. Okay, obviously, you know, here's the green, but you know, where where am I if I miss the green? Because we're going to do that three, four, five, eight, nine times around, depending on the day. Um, so I think there's a preparation on understanding, um, you know, how to get the ball up and down and how the course is playing that way. Because as we know, short game will be a big part, you know, of our success in any tournament. So I would just say it's it's a it's a collaboration of preparation. Um, You know, locally, um, honestly, beyond golf in in the week or two leading up to these events, I I change my lifestyle a little bit sometimes. Um, Certainly, you know, I like to go out and have fun and enjoy my time, you know, with my friends, but um, I don't do a ton of that probably in the, at least in the seven days prior to an event, because I know I'm probably going to be walking um, I'm going to want to be well hydrated. I'm going to want to be in, in, in good physical condition. and. Um, and you're, have not, a good you're not
0: talking life. about like stop drinking alcohol, are you? Is that what you're leading up to?
1: Yeah, but like I said, I, I limited it down to like, you know, five or seven days. I think in my younger years, I might have even been, you know, more than that but um don't do you scare, know just,
0: there's people listening to this thing that you know, don't <laughs> don't scare people into that you gotta like you <laughs> know, to,
1: you everybody's different I, I think there's some people that I, that actually would prefer maybe a cocktail or two uh before bed and i think that might be the right move for some people so i wouldn't i wouldn't say i i subscribe to that theory uh 24 7 365 certainly i want to enjoy my life and and there is more to life than competitive golf but you're talking about USJ qualifiers, and you're alluding to some of these events where you're walking, you're playing 36. And so I would just say, when I know I've got a particularly grueling event ahead, uh, whether it's a 54-hole event or whether it's a USJ qualifier, as you alluded to in the hot sun of South Florida, I just say I might I might make a make a few sort of edits with my routine in that two, three, four, five, six days leading up to it, uh, just to put my myself in the best sort of you know physical state of mind before Absolutely. the event as well.
0: yeah. Absolutely. Well, I wish you luck in this year's USGA qualifiers. I hope you can add to your total of eleven appearances. I think that you are probably one of the last people that that qualified for all three in the same year: the USAM, US, US MidAM, and the US Public Links, because they did get rid of that. So that's a nice little kudos to put on the resume. So you've you've played in eleven USGA championships. A lot of these championships have keynote speakers. I'm sure there's a lot of people that you've come across that have moved on to the professional ranks. Give me a good story about one of your experiences at a USGA event that really sticks out in your mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think it, it, it's hard to narrow it down to one, but I'll uh, I'll request the honor for brevity. Certainly on the speaker side, meeting, you know, Arnold Palmer at a U.S. Amateur, Condoleezza Rice at the U.S. Mid-Amateur Um sort of just these different figures that are in the game of golf that, that show up at these USG events. They really make it substantial. On the player's side, I I played and became friendly with Stuart Hagstad, and this is a guy that, again, is following the career amateur path and and um, you know won the U.S. Mid-Am, played in the Masters, and not only played but made the cut, and, and that was cool, getting to play some practice rounds with him back when he was younger and just a student at USC, and now he's tran- transitioned into the mid-amateur game playing with a guy by the name of Doug Gim, who just won uh, the Walker Cup for Team USA. He's a runner-up at the Publinks and the U.S. Amateur, uh, a really herald amateur. So there's a number of of, of little things, um, but it's just at the end of the day, the best way to answer that is, you get to be around some people that have accomplished a lot and oftentimes, uh if it's an amateur event, they're just they're just going on to bigger and better things and you get a taste of that. And then I would just say there's some big figures um that you realize that are really connected uh to golf. Again, whether it's a, a former president of the United States or a political figure or just some of the greats of the game, uh, whether it's an Arnold Palmer or a Jack Nicholas. Um it's just it's just great to be able to be around people that that show up and, and sort of support these amateur events because um, obviously as I have alluded to uh, time and again, that's, that's the ultimate for me. Um, I'm not, I'm not driving toward any tour type of experience. So if I can, if I can be a part of a, a USJ event or a national amateur event that affords me access and experience with, with some prominent figures and some people that support the game of golf, it's uh it's just a part of my lifelong experience as an amateur that I'll, that'll always store in my memory bank
0: so we're just moving on here. So, you know, you, you've had your FSGA success, your, your Florida success, you've had your, your USGA success, and then you kind of branch off into your own and you start your own amateur golf tour. So, um, I remember when you, you, when you spoke to me about this, when you were first getting it going, and I followed a lot of, of, of its success. Um, you know, we we have a little bit of time left, so I want I want to get into that. There's a couple other things I want to get into, but talk to me about um, the South Florida Amateur Golf Tour. How did this start? And and you know, tell our listeners a little bit about
1: it. We do have a great State Golf Association, um, obviously with the FSGA, and and certainly one of the premier regional you know organizations with the folks in Palm Beach. But by and large, in that in that southeastern Miami Broward you know South Palm Beach corridor. Um, I felt that there was just a lot of active golfers and a lot of great golf courses, and there wasn't anything specific to the local environment. So really just, just trying to kind of fill a need, trying to grow the game and and trying to provide the local audience in my hometown a forum to, to play good golf courses and to compete. And then also to stretch the opportunity beyond just the, the best golfers in the area, to to the more everyday golfer and so the flighted approach and 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 allowing that 6 8 10 12 13 handicapper to to play against a peer and compete that was a big calling for me to to try to expand the competitive golf environment beyond just a good player um and I just had a background um and a desire um to to be a part of great events um I've always been an event management guy a, a creator um in, in sort of um being parts of things that are competition tournament environments. It's always been in my DNA and blood. So it spoke to sort of my entrepreneurial background and and spirit uh, to try to, to try to create something that worked and made sense and that spoke to the local audience. So um, first event uh, was quite funny. I had 17 players and we played in the driving rainstorm at TPC Eagle trace. And I was like, (laughs) all right, you know, this may not last very long as I have people giving me the side I look and I'm just waving them on to keep playing because there's no thunder and lightning. But, um, oh, no. it was fun. You know, I, I, I think, you know, there's the getting the players part and then there's the venues part. And, and like anything, you have to have a product that speaks to, to people and, and to the golfers. So I was very fortunate to leverage my relationships with, a lot of great uh, golf professionals and general managers in the community. And uh, remember using TPC Eagle Trace at the time, certainly one of the flagship clubs of South Florida, fully private. And so, you know, putting people on great courses on the weekend and sort of giving that weekend warrior uh, element uh, to the tour was a big aspect. So just trying to, to find an unmet demand and deliver a product that I thought the market would respond to and not be overly concerned with needing some explosive growth or, or needing to make a bunch of money of it. It was just a calling to to grow the game and, and to foster a community for, for competitive golf. And it's been a fantastic ride. Um, I'm six years in serving over 400 people. The events are small. They're niche. I run events with anywhere from, you know, 22, 24 to maybe 48, 50 people, depending on any given month. Um it's spaced out. Um I have uh you know a career away from the South Florida Amateur Golf Tour and I'm only one person. Uh I'm a one man uh one man band with a little help of some great starters that I that I have in the local area. So um it's a spaced out, nichey little tour, but it it's run on great clubs and it and it speaks to you know some of the things that I believe are are important to amateur golf, which is give people a good experience, play a good course. Um and get them competing. At the end of the day, it's always been kind of my opinion in golf and, and this may be a little bit narrow but I'm okay in saying it. If you're not competing, I don't really know what you're doing. You know, I don't I don't know why. I just I just think that you've gotta have some sort of want to get better. Sure. Um I've never been out there just to exist. So it just kinda of speaks to my DNA of, of wanting to compete and, and luckily the markets responded uh like i said i just wanted something local and simple that that served our audience and uh we get on great venues we manage it tightly uh the pace of play element is fast we're playing events in three and a half hours you know maybe 345 355 so we're we're beating the average tournament experience by 30 40 minutes and getting people in and out the door and meeting good local friends and uh you know again whether it's a small field or a slightly bigger field uh People get a good experience. they play a good club, they meet some good friends, and that's what it's all about and I'm perfectly happy with it uh in its current state, which is just a simple uh resource for local golfers and last but not least, I've met a lot of great people along the way, and I think that's been just as fun as as
0: anything else sure and the thing I really like about about the tour, and this is kind of one of my uh you know questions that I'll always ask people about how to grow the game and how to grow amateur golf is. A guy that shoots 78, 79, 82 at his local club to get him to take the leap into playing tournament golf away from his his buddies and away from his course and to go out and play in a tournament setting, you know, that guy, you might be able to get him out once or twice to play in a field uh, against players of your caliber, but he's never going to stay there. You really don't want – those guys don't want to come play against you, TJ, and – you know kind of get their head kicked in so you know what is that what's out there for those players where they can still compete against you know players of good skill level and and feel that they they can be competitive and not have to worry about this guy's sandbag and he's he's trying to 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 cheat the system Uh, so that's one one thing that i really like about it i think it's great that you're you're not just targeting something towards the elite amateur you're targeting uh anyone that really just wants to come out and compete and you'll you'll find a way to make it competitive for them. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, and what's the what's the link for for the tour cuz I am we're going to put in the show notes but what's the uh what's the link?
1: Yeah, so the link is just www.sf as in South Florida amtour.com sfamtour.com.
0: So, um I guess, you know, one other thing I wanted to hit on, I know that you mentioned with the USGA, you, the, your experiences there is really kind of open doors to other national invitational events that you've played. And, you know, when I heard this, uh, I, I knew I had to ask you a little bit about this. So one of the more exclusive tournaments, um, and I think it actually really fits in with, um, you know, the history there. So the, the Coleman Invitational at Seminole Golf Club in Juneau Beach, so for for people that don't know, um, Seminole was actually the the spot that Ben Hogan would hang out at in the winter to get ready for the Masters. You know, this is an Invitational where I mean, you these are the top names, top names around the country, around the state, and um, you know, how did you get an invite to play in that for the 2016, and then also. You win it. You win the tournament in your first appearance in it, which is I don't think if that's ever happened. Give me just a little taste about what it was like being at Seminole.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I in, in regards to just being able to be lucky enough to be involved, you know. I, I had some help, you know, from some good friends. It's partly about your experience as a player and your accomplishments, but it's just obviously fortunate enough to, to be lucky enough to be involved like that. Um, the fact that, you know, one of the greatest golf clubs in our country um, supports amateur golf and, and to a further extent, mid-amateur golf, um, it, it's just something that um, we just we just couldn't be any luckier. Um, as mid-amateur golfers to to be able to have that access and to be a part of a place that's special and um, you know as far as the results um, certainly not expected obviously um, you know I had plenty of belief in, in my ability in my game and had done a lot of nice things. Um, up until that point uh, at the state level and and at the national level, but this was certainly a different environment and, um, you know, being lucky enough to to play the way I wanted to play. It was, it was up and down and it wasn't always pretty. um, But, but, um, you know, at some of these events, you know, you got difficult, a difficult golf course and you got to understand that everybody's going to struggle at some point. So it was, was really just fortunate to, to kind of keep my head down and, and play well. And, um, you know, ended up, you know, being in a playoff with a, with a couple other elite national mid-am players am players and, and surviving that playoff. But, um, just an all world experience. It's, it's one of the most special properties, um, in the country in terms of the golf course, the history and the fact that they support amateur golf the way they do is, is amazing. And I just feel lucky to be, uh, to be a part of that and to be able to walk through the front door and, uh, the, the people that are associated with the club too, the staff and the friendliness and the way they welcome you. It's just, um, it's just something that you truly ask yourself all week, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm really lucky to just be a part of this. And it's one of those unique experiences where we spend so much of our life being governed by our results and how we do on the golf course. But it's truly the type of week that you literally just say by being here, by being a part of this uh, golf club for the week and, and this event and these people, you know, I've already won.
0: Well, that's, uh, that's a hell of an accomplishment to, uh, to win an event like that in your first trip there. And I would imagine, uh, you'll be invited back, uh, as many times as you'd like. So, uh, enjoy that one. And, uh, you know, anytime there's a way you can uh, put me in the trunk of your car and stink me in there, you just <laughs> let me know. Uh, well, and now Time for a quick bucket. We're at the end of the episode. We have a segment called the quick bucket because there's always time for a quick bucket when you're at the back of the range. These are just random questions. First one, since I know your, uh, your affinity for a certain professional football team here in South Florida. um, How do you fix the Miami dolphins?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm not an executive, but I will say this, you know, in the NFL, stability at the top um, and the ability to to draft and cultivate players players who get into their prime and on their second contract is is really the way you win in this league. And the Dolphins don't have a tremendous amount of that. Um, some of the good players they have have left, and they've went the free agency route uh, over the years with a couple of players that some of which have panned out, others haven't. So I would say that would be one angle. And obviously, play at the quarterback position is just Paramount in the NFL. When you think about the the last 10 or 15 Super Bowl champions, um, by and large, you had elite quarterbacks or you had serviceable quarterbacks with just elite defenses. And so I think that's a big part of the framework of how the Miami Dolphins move forward. They've got a lot committed, um, you know, to Ryan Tannehill and certainly getting Cutler available this year um I think was a nice option for them there's there's rarely a player of of that pedigree uh on the free agent market um that they were able to go get uh with the Tanner injury, injury but um I'm happy with with what I've seen from the coaching side um maybe not so much this year um uh, but but last year um certainly bringing in a young bright mind like Adam Gase um obviously there's optimism around him and what he could do so just continuity at the top and uh finding and identifying the right players and developing those players and, and, and knowing who to keep and who to let go is, uh, is really the framework of any good football organization. And, um uh, we got to hope that, that, that we can trend down that path. And, uh, You know, get back to a a level of consistency that that uh, we've lacked for a number of years now.
0: Yeah, and and I get uh, you know I I I like watching Cutler, but I I really get concerned because whenever he takes a sack, you know he's falling down and crushing that box of cigarettes he's got in his 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 pocket, (laughs) and and that's that's not true. So okay, the uh, the the second one I want to ask you this is now this one's a little bit golf related, and and remember it's a quick bucket, so quick answer. I don't want you to you know think about it too much, but. If you have to compare these two victories, which one would be the most memorable and important for the history of the game of golf? We're going to go with Jack's 86 Masters or Tiger's fifth jacket.
1: Wow. Um, You know what? I'll I'll take the latter. I'll take Tiger if he were able to win again uh, just because the fall has been much harder with him. So, so if there were ever to be a rise again, it would just be much more monumental. Um, great as Jack's accomplishment was. Um, and, and Tiger is just, just flat out playing against, uh, better players, you know, and yeah. that, that, that's just a reality for all Jack did. It was, it was fantastic, but, um, it's just a much deeper game now um so if if that tiger scenario were to happen again which it seems like those chances are decreasing every day that goes by um if if that hypothetical scenario happened i would have to side with that one
0: yeah i really hope i really hope I, i would love just to see him on the back nine on sunday close to the lead and just be paired with one of those young guys spieth thomas reed rory i mean that's all i'm asking i'm not asking for much but man it's sad to
1: think that we may never get
0: that uh, oh it's it's yeah It just i think that's it it is so uh i mean he doesn't i don't think he owes anyone anything but gosh it just feels like everyone just wants that just we want to see just one more time so yeah i i think i think incredible and then finally the last one you have the opportunity to give a major championship to anyone, any man, any woman professional, you know, not an amateur, uh, can't give one to me appreciate it, but no, but, um, anyone that has never won a major in the history of the game, who would you give it to? Wow.
1: Another deep question. Um, you know, I'm probably missing. I'm probably missing somebody by not digging on my history a little bit and maybe going back in the years. So I'm, I'm thinking. Um, I don't know if this is the
0: number one answer out there. Um, no, this is just I, for you. I, this is yeah. You know, yeah, it's not who's right. Just, okay. You, you, I, you like, know you what? You get to give it to whoever you want to. <laughs> okay. All right. Give you it. Know to, what? Give it to Casey Martin if you want to. Give it to anyone you want to. No, you know what?
1: I would, I would, I would say Lee Westwood, and and, okay. and we're, I'm I'm a I'm a guy that that kind of believes in in if there's a totality of your results that just speaks to a tremendous amount of opportunity to win something, and you don't do it, um, it's it's much more painful for me to to see that person knowing what I know about this game, uh, you know, to not have won a major and. Um, I don't have the data in front of me, but that guy has finished in the top three or four in a major many, many, many times over. And um, I would just go with him. Montgomery is another name, a European player. But uh, I just think that Wes would, given the talented players he was up against and how many times he was so close, that's a guy that you know i'm i'm not giving up on yet Him, him back door in a british elvin or something before it's all said and done uh, I, I would go west with just on the totality of his results and how many times he was so close
0: well tj i appreciate it man thanks so much for joining me here at the back of the range golf podcast and i will see you uh, this season at some tournaments okay thanks for having me ben enjoyed it and there you have it episode nine in the books thank you so much to tj shewart for joining us this week again please tell your friends about this podcast and leave a review where you can follow us on Instagram and I will see you next week at the back of the range.